Good morning. How are you all doing? Good, good, good. Last week we talked about emotional health. So how'd that go this week? No confessions or testimonies? No? Well, keep working on that one. Set up your three-month goal in the area of emotional health. And uh, today we're going to be talking about relational health, how to make our relationships better. I thought about talking about dealing with those really difficult people, but uh, they're kind of a small percentage of our relationships, and the things that we're going to learn today really do apply with all types of relationships somewhere on the spectrum, whether they're very difficult or just slightly difficult to deal with. Uh, We're also going to talk about a mentality that you need to take in order to make relationships work. The theme verse for this series is Romans 12, 2, which says, Do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we need a different mindset as we approach relationships. Uh, To get a a glimpse in your current mindset, I want to give you a scenario. I want you to think about this. Suppose you're on a life raft with a friend. You're in the ocean. You're approaching an island. The raft is leaking, and you are in sight of land. In the raft, you have a set of signal flares, a week's supply of canned food, and several gallons of purified water. You've got to throw something overboard if you're going to make it to the island. Well, what do you throw over? How many thought you throw over the signal flares? Be honest. Raise your hand. I'd throw the signal flares over. Didn't think you really need those. You need food and water. Maybe you can make a fire or spell help on the sand, right? You can make it work. How many of you said you throw the canned uh, food overboard? Right, it's probably the most heaviest thing. You throw that overboard. You need the water, right? You can have the signal flares. Someone will come to your rescue. How many said you throw over the gallons of water? I figure that'd be more of you. The water will float right in the gallons, and hopefully they'll come ashore, and you'll have everything you need anyways. How many of you said you throw the friend overboard? Come on, be honest. The first service was loaded with friends overboard. So you are in good company here in the second service. And uh, as funny as that is, that's really how we deal with our relationships. We tend to throw our friends overboard. We don't really share our lives with anyone. We just try to do life alone. We don't want to bother other people. We figured we could just deal with this ourselves Um, But the truth is that relationships are very important in our lives. Relationships take work. Relationships can be messy. But we need to embrace that work, embrace the mess in our relationships. I like this verse found in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4. It says, where there are no oxen, the feeding trough is empty. But an abundant harvest comes through the strength of an ox. Other versions may say the manger is clean. The point is that without the ox, sure, the manger's clean, everything's nice, just the way you had it. You don't have to take your time and energy or food to to feed the ox. But you will not be able to harvest the crop in its full abundance without the ox. So you have to embrace the mess. You have to embrace the time, energy, and effort and the consumption that this friend, this ox, will have in your life if you're going to seek 
the full abundance of the harvest. I like thinking about this illustration as well as the sequoia trees in California. Have you ever seen those up close firsthand? They're, they're massive. They can be 275 feet in the air, 25 feet round. But what's more amazing in these trees is their root system. You would imagine that a tree that big would have to have some pretty deep roots. But the truth is that their roots only go about four feet underground. But they extend about 100 to 150 feet. And their root systems often intermingle with other root systems of sequoia trees. See, the reason these trees are able to last so long for thousands of years, the reason that they're able to weather the storms is not because they just dig down deep, bunker down, deal with life. It's because they reach out and they hold on to perhaps other trees around them. That's what our relationships are supposed to look like. When we miss out on relationships, we really miss out on why we were placed here on the planet. And I think intuitively, we know this. We know that we're thriving for relationships. Most of us don't think about thriving for relationships because we have relationships in our lives. But when you don't have relationships, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You thrive for a relationship. A few weeks ago, I was at the post office, and the post worker was having this conversation with a customer that came in, and they obviously knew each other because they were having this conversation. But the customer said they were almost really jealous of the worker because after work, they just go home and no one's there. They don't have to uh, you know, be bothered by anybody, and there was this peace and quiet, and this customer longed for the day when everybody out of their house would move out, and they could be by themselves and enjoy some peace and quiet. But the coworker was saying, well, it's not really as cracked up as it may sound. You get off of work, you go home, you're by yourself. You can't talk about work. It's just kind of boring. You make dinner, kind of boring. You can watch TV, kind of boring. The worker longed for the day when someone would move in with them and they could share life with one another. And so you and I are the same way. We're made for relationships. We thrive for relationships. But we know that relationships can be hard work. Well, why are they so hard to work on if we're designed for relationships? Because you can live with someone for 20 years and not really fully know them. Or you could work with someone for 15 or 30 years and then not know things about them. So to understand relationships, we're going to look at the original relationship between Adam and Eve found in Genesis. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look at a specific incident in the life of Adam and Eve when it comes to the relationships. Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 is all about God creating everything that we have. The universe, plants, animals, oceans, water, everything is God creating those things. And he communicates with Adam some things that he wants from Adam, some duties, some responsibilities. He even gives them him a command. Uh, this, this relationship between God is not like an employer versus an employee. This relationship is like a father to a son. I'm giving you some responsibilities. I want you to do some things. Um, and he also tells Adam not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or he would certainly die. Then God creates Eve out of man, and, out, and you can, Adam can, you know, he's saying, sweet. Thanks, God. That's awesome. Thanks for Eve, you know. And so they begin to work on this relationship with one another. And then we get to Genesis chapter 3. 
Well, Adam and Eve, uh, in Genesis chapter 3, they're, they, they're going to the grocery store. They're picking up some groceries, trying to, to modernize the text here. They're out and about getting some groceries. They have a list. They know what they need to get. And, uh, but something happened when they were at the store. Have you ever had a list? You know what you need to get. You get to the store, and then all of a sudden, there's someone selling some sweet set of knives. All right? They're selling those knives that can cut through a hammer. You have no reason to ever cut through a hammer, but if you ever had to, you know that your knife would still cut through a tomato. So these knives are amazing, and they're, they're guaranteed for life. You'll never be able to find the company that can guarantee the knives, but they're guaranteed for life. So you walk out of that store, forgetting everything you went in there for, but you've got a sweet set of knives. Have you ever done that? I have. We don't still have those knives, but they were pretty sweet. So Adam and Eve, they're going out getting groceries, and then something happens. They were deceived by the serpent, Satan, the devil, deceives Eve in taking and eating something that they weren't supposed to eat. And then she gave it to her husband, and he also ate it. Well, the text tells us that they didn't die physically, In that moment, but they did gain the knowledge of good and evil. They gained an awareness that what they had done was sinful. And that sin brought guilt. I've done something I shouldn't have done. Guilty. That guilt brought shame, it brought embarrassment, and it brought fear. It's this fear that we're going to talk about that can hinder relationships. This fear of being exposed. Fear of being exposed. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. We read, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Fear of exposure causes me to disguise. Causes me to disguise. If you're using your notes in the back of the bulletin, that's the first blank there. Causes me to disguise. Were Adam and Eve suddenly naked? No. They've always been naked. They were naked before. When they went to the grocery store, they were naked. It just didn't bother them. They weren't thinking about it. They didn't know any different. But now there was this feeling of guilt and shame and knowing that you did something wrong. I did something wrong. The relationship now is exposed. It's awkward. And they don't know what to do with this shame, this guilt. And so they, they cover up, they conceal, they disguise themselves. They say it's embarrassing to, to be known like this. It's embarrassing for someone so close to me to know what I've done so wrong. And so being naked physically and covering themselves up physically is a symbol of them trying to fix their nakedness spiritually spiritually they are now naked. And and today people use all sorts of ways to disguise themselves. Today we still use clothes. We have fancier fig leaves, thank goodness. Uh, But we we spend lots of money on clothes trying to cover up ourselves and to wear a certain style that maybe communicates we've got our life all together or maybe we're wearing a certain type of of clothes that say, I identify with you who wear clothes just like me. I feel comfortable around you. 
And so we wear certain types of clothes to fit in with certain types of people. But we make assumptions about people. We make assumptions about ourselves based upon our clothes. For example, some people may have different assumptions about a pastor who wears a tie or who doesn't wear a tie. For some people, a tie represents professionalism, a deep spiritual intellect. But for some, a tie may represent someone who's pious or thinks a lot about themselves or someone who's a fake Christian who doesn't know how to relate to the culture around them. And those are just based upon whether the guy's wearing a tie or not. We make those assumptions day in and day out with everybody around us, whether we realize it or not. For some people, it's not about clothing. It's not about material possessions. It's about other things like humor. Some people hide behind being funny. They love being the class clown. People like being around them. They make jokes. They're fun to be around. But no one knows what's really going on on the inside of them. And they don't want to get to a point where they reveal what's going on inside of them because everyone likes to be around them because they're funny. And if they stop being funny, maybe they won't like them anymore. People hide behind social media. They're always taking pictures of themselves. Look how great my life is. It's always so fun and perfect. And it's not really fun or perfect at all. We could talk to Ken, the pastor of students, and they'll tell you how this is such an issue for our youth to find their significance in whether people are liking or commenting on their photos. But I don't think that it's just a problem with our youth. It's a problem with us as adults. We do anything to, to wonder whether people like us for who we are. But we'll disguise and hide behind things. We'll create multiple images of ourselves based upon who we're hanging out with. Have you ever done that? You act different, you dress different based upon who you're hanging around with? Why do we do that? Why do we create different images of ourselves based upon who we're hanging around with? Is it because we hope they don't find out that we're a Christian and then we've got to start acting like one? Or are we afraid that they're going to find out that we doubt that God exists or that God is good, but we're a leader within the church? What are we afraid of? What are we afraid of exposing? We live behind a false self because we're afraid to share our thoughts, our emotions. We're, we're afraid to share our hurts and our hang-ups. We don't want a relationship to all of a sudden become awkward because now we're revealing our spiritual nakedness. Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of evening breeze. And they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Fear of exposure causes me to disguise. Fear of exposure also causes me to be distant. Causes me to be distant. These are all D's. I hope you appreciate all the hard work that went into all of that. <laughs> Fear exposure causes me to be distant. You may say, you know, I want to get closer to people. I want to get closer to my wife. I want to get closer to my husband. I want to have friends in my life that I can trust. I want to have the friends in my life that can trust me, but I just don't have them. Why is that? Why can't I get closer to people? Maybe it's because fear of exposure causes us to run away. 
We've tried the disguising part, the masquerading ourselves, trying to be someone who we're not, and we're just tired of putting up with that. And, uh, but we're not quite ready to talk about our relationships. We're not quite ready to talk about our mistakes or our failures or our weaknesses. There's a lot of things we don't like about ourselves, and we're sure that those other people are not going to like about us either. So it's just safe. It's, it's neater in our lives, and we just kind of push people back to keep our distance. God asked Adam, where are you? And it's not because God didn't know. God knew exactly where Adam was. But he wanted Adam to fess up. He wanted Adam to fess up. Your relationship's never going to get to a place where you want them to be if you can't have an open conversation about where the relationship is at. Transformation is not going to take place until you talk about the relationship. Last week, we talked about emotional health, that revealing is healing. It's the same thing in a relationship. Revealing is healing. You've got to talk about those things. We can't just keep our distance. Now, that sounds kind of scary when we think about some relationships and talking about the things that hinder our relationships. We can imagine how the person is going to take those things when we begin to talk about them. Maybe we've already tried to talk about it, and it hasn't gone very well. So we're scared of talking about those things. It says that Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord in the garden. So it strikes me, what kind of sound does God make? Does God whistle why he works? Does he have a, a shuffle in his walk? I mean, what, what kind of sound does God make that you know he's coming? Well, the, the phrase in the cool of the day or during the evening breeze can actually mean or be translated as the wind of the storm. Same phrase is used in, in Job when God comes to meet Job in the whirlwind, in the wind of the storm. So the picture here is not a gentle stroll of God walking through the garden. Adam, where are you? Ready or not, here I come. Uh, it's more of like an angry father who realized that their kids have broken something. And so it's just simply the sound that God was coming that made them afraid. My brother and I have a twin brother. He's my evil twin. And... Uh, Sometimes, he's not here to defend himself. Sometimes we would do things, and my mom would say, you're going to hear it when your father gets home. And so we would go, and we'd play for an hour or two or whatever. But whatever we were doing, suddenly, we would hear the sound of our father's truck driving down the street, backing into the driveway, and we knew that we were in trouble. So it didn't have to have a distinctive sound. It just had to be the sound that father's coming that causes us to be afraid. We don't like to be afraid. We don't like to be in trouble. You know, as adults, we're like, oh, stop treating me like a kid. I'm not a kid. You know, I don't have to be in trouble. You sin, I sin, we all sin. So what's the big deal? Let's, let's just get on with it. Let's not talk about it. We don't want to deal with our shame, our embarrassment, our guilt. Genesis chapter 3, verses 11, then through 13. Then he, Adam, or God said, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I had commanded you not to eat from? Then the man replied, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. So the Lord God asked the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, It was the serpent. He deceived me, and I ate. The fear of exposure 
causes us also to be defensive. Causes us to be defensive. Did you notice how Adam and Eve, they didn't really answer God's question directly? Because if they did, it would say that, yes, I ate the fruit that I wasn't supposed to. I'm guilty of the consequences. But they had to justify or give their excuses, their reasoning, uh, that they did what they weren't supposed to. For them, it wasn't blatant rebellion. It wasn't really just disobedience. I mean, they were tricked. They were trapped. There was no other way out. They had no other choice in the matter. They had to do what they had to do. And they get defensive, and they start attacking one another and start putting blame on all sorts of things and people. We say, if I'm going to get in trouble, you're going down with me. Notice Adam's bravery in this situation. More like stupidity, right? Blaming God. He's the one. You're the one, God, that caused this thing. Adam's saying, God, it's really your fault. I did exactly what you wanted me to do. I'm out doing what you wanted me to do, naming the animals, and then you sent me this woman. She didn't listen to me. She obviously wasn't listening to you. I don't even know why you would create something like that. But I'm just saying it's your fault you created her. And then Eve passes it off to the serpent. It doesn't even have to be a person. You know, we could blame the cat, the dog, the table, the company that made the table, anything. It doesn't matter. We'll blame something and anything around us. We do not like to be attacked. So we fear being exposed. We want to take other people down with us. Well, there is a better way of doing relationships than fear of being exposed by disguising ourselves, by keeping our distance, and by being defensive. The solution to fear is love. The the solution to fear is love. 1 John 4, verse 18 says this. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment. So the one who fear has not reached perfection in love. There's no fear in perfect love. There's no fear of exposure in perfect love. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no desire to be distant. There's no desire to disguise. There's no desire to be defensive. Because we have this relationship that's free and open to talk about the truth. And in order to get to that point in the relationship, you have to drive out fear. Because fear is going to be in the relationship. You have to learn how to drive it out. You've got to say things or do things that convey to the other person that when you share, there will be no judgment. There will be no punishment from me when you share the truth about our relationship. So to parents, I always encourage you to consistently convey to your kids that they can come to you and they can share whatever's on their heart. Whatever they have done, they can come to you and they can share it. We want our kids to come to us rather than doing something and fearing us and hiding it from us. And then one day they get to a point in their life where it's out of control and we wonder, how did it get like this? We want them to not fear coming to us. My wife and I, we always tell our kids, Don't lie. If you lie, you will get in trouble. If you don't lie, you may or may not get in trouble. 
But if you lie, you will get in trouble. And when you lie, your sin will find you out. Don't think you can get away with it. You will be discovered. So when you lie, you'll get in trouble. If you don't lie, you may or may not get in trouble. Because we want them to come to us and talk about these things. We want them to not feel uh, fear out of being punished for what they did. We do want them to learn that there's consequences to their actions. But more importantly, we want them to feel openness about the relationship. So that means sometimes they'll come to us and we know that they should be disciplined in a certain way for what they did, but we withhold that and we say, I know that was probably really hard to admit, to talk about. It's hard for me to talk about things when I do sinful things. So let's just talk about what we should have done or what we'll do the next time because you know there's going to be a next time, right? So let's talk about what's going to happen next time. There's this openness and honesty to the relationship, and that's the type of mentality, that's the type of renewing our mind that we have to carry into all of our relationships. We have to create this system of grace and mercy and forgiveness and openness and honesty rather than living in a a system that's full of judgment and punishment and secrecy. That's why it's hard to develop relationships time because there's not this trust. I'm not going to tell you anything because I don't trust you with that type of information. We've got to work on driving that type of fear out. So fear of exposure causes me to disguise, but love deals with it all. There's a couple, uh, I think, phrases in the bulletin to switch them around, but you could fill them in. The fear of exposure causes me to disguise, but love deals with all. Fear of exposure causes me to be distant, but love goes the distance. And fear of exposure causes me to be defensive, but love defends all. To illustrate this, I'm going to use an illustration by Jesus in Luke chapter 10. This guy had come to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what does God's word say? So in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, he says this. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus answered correctly. Or Jesus said, you answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? So Jesus took up the question, and he said, he doesn't answer questions directly very often. He likes to tell stories. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, seeking medical help. Then he put on him his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? 
the one who showed him mercy, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. This parable of the Good Samaritan tells us that we need to value loving everyone and to value loving someone. See, everyone means that there's no one below our limits that we would ever try to love. But someone means that I have to actually do something practical to those directly around me. So you approach another person, whoever you meet, and you identify that they're really no different than you. They may not struggle with the same things you struggle with, but you all have struggles in your life. And you may, as you're having these conversations with people, you may realize that you do have the same struggles. You could say, you know what, me too. I didn't know that was like you. That's what I've been going through. And so then you could begin to carry one another's burdens. You could begin to have a deeper understanding of that person and begin to show them true grace and mercy and forgiveness that you would have never done if you didn't approach the relationship differently. So we have to be willing to deal with the people around us, baggage and all. We have to be willing to deal with all of it. We have to deal with the person, whether they live differently than us. We have to learn to deal with them rather than just closing our eyes, looking the other way, pretending that it didn't happen, pretending that they're not there. We can't just push people out of our thoughts and keep distance from them. We have to go the distance. We've got to maybe change some things in our schedule, our planning. We have to say, okay, I wanted to do this today, but that's not going to happen. I've got to go, and I've got to spend some time, energy, and effort, and maybe even money on this relationship. We come to their side. We defend them. We, we, you know, sometimes people just are so used to people walking by them, ignoring them, making them feel like they're, they're not significant. And so all of a sudden, you give attention to somebody. You notice, the, notice them, and that means the world to them. But some of that just has to do with us slowing down, not filling our schedules so much that we can't connect with people. It means that we have conversations with people, and we smile and ask them about their day and, and things of that nature. But we know that that's not easy. That's not our nature. We want to disguise. We want to keep our distance. We want to be defensive. So to kind of help you in this physical or this relational health, in the month of June, every Sunday in June, we're going to invite you to bring your lunch, bring a snack, whatever, and stay after the service. Whether you come to the first service, whether you come to the second service, it doesn't matter. We want you to stick around and connect with other people out of the pavilion. We'll have tables and chairs out there. We're praying for good weather, so the kids are out there. They're playing on the playground anyways. And you could just hang out with somebody else and develop this relationship. We can work on this. For you to develop relationships, it creates, it needs a system of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And that should be a system here at the church. It should be a safe place for you to practice that. So we invite you to just kind of stick around and connect with somebody during the month of June. If you can only come to one week, then you only come to one week. If you can come to all the weeks, that's great. Come every week. The point is we just want you to work on your relational health. Now, doing this kind of relational uh, system of thought is, is different than what we're used to, and that's because it flows out of having a relationship with God. If your relationship with God is hindered, then your relationship with other people will be hindered. And so this goes back to our, our spiritual help, spending time with God to understand 
His grace, His mercy, His unconditional love, His acceptance. And if you've never experienced the unconditional love and acceptance of Christ, then it's going to be difficult for you to live this out in your relationships. Jesus died for our sins. He gave Himself up fully for us. That's our model. That's our example. We can't continue to live in the cycle of fear, the fear of being exposed. We've got to drive out fear and create a system and live in a system of grace, mercy, forgiveness, openness. So you have to ask yourself, where am I at in my relationships in this spectrum? Am I fear of exposure and I live in that fear? Or am I in a system of love and grace and mercy? And your relationships are going to be all over the place. Some of them are going to be way over here in the fear and some of them are going to be pretty way over here in the area of love. But I think in any relationship, you're going to have sometimes those fears creeping in. Satan wants to destroy those relationships that are full of love. And Satan wants to keep you in those relationships that are full of fear. Let's pray this morning. God, we know that in the area of our relational health that there's a lot of relationships in our lives that aren't doing very well. We have some relationships that are doing very well. Yeah, we pray that you would help us in all of those relationships, that we would stay strong in those relationships that are full of love and then work on those relationships that are not experiencing that love. We know that we will need your help. This is not something we could do on our own willpower, but we need you to to help us understand how to do that practically in each and every one of our relationships. Help us as we spend time with you each day to understand what that relationship looks like, what unconditional love looks like, so that we can put it into practice during that day. We thank you, Lord, for this word from the scriptures. We thank you that you are still by our side helping us through this. You did not uh, keep your distance, and um, you are help, uh, helping us in this walk, this journey, this spiritual life on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen.